Good morning. I'd like you to open in your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. James has discussed trials and temptations in the first 18 verses, trials being outward circumstances, temptations being inward enticements, and I might add that they are both inevitable. Verse 2 says, when you encounter various trials, and verse 13 says, when he is tempted. There are no ifs. In those two verses, trials and temptations are not optional in your life as a believer. And now having covered trials and temptations, James comes to what I believe is the key verse in this book, and that's verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is the formula for handling trials and temptations. Or you might say, this is the formula for handling life, because life is full of trials. In our lives, where trials are inevitable, here's what we are to be. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That is the equation to live by. And interestingly, it deals with the issue of communication. If you check the leading causes of divorce in our country, you will find right at the top, lack of communication. When we encounter hard feelings among friends or coworkers, it's often traced to a breakdown in communication. What you thought you said or meant to say or should have said or didn't say, what you thought they said or heard them say or didn't hear them say or didn't like the way they said. So here are three laws of communication or three rules of communication, and I call them that because they're commands. These apply to husband and wife, parent, child, friends, co-workers, strangers, the highway patrolman who pulls you over for speeding. It applies across the board. But most importantly, it applies to God and you. Rule number one, be quick to hear. Most of us are quick to judge We're quick to give our opinion. We're quick to lash out. And then we're quick to try to fix it. But the first rule of communication is be quick to hear. Be in a hurry to hear. Be racing after hearing, which really means be teachable. Be one who listens. Be one who pays close attention. Listening is a lost art. Paul Tournier, eminent Swiss 
physician and author said, the conversations of our world are for the most part dialogues of the deaf. All of us can sit on a couch reading our email or reading a book and we've got the television on and the sound waves are reaching our ears but we are not really listening and we are not understanding. And we can treat our family members that same way. It's possible to have very good hearing and be hard of listening. Now let's be honest. We're not very good listeners. We know how to smile and nod when someone else's mouth is moving, but we're not very good listeners. You know how to sit upright in church and stare at me and and nod once in a while. Doesn't mean you're listening. We know how to be silent. We even know how to ask polite questions while we're waiting for our opportunity to take the stage. You familiar with those kind of conversations? Yeah, I'm listening to you while I'm making my points over here. That's why when Jesus was teaching, he would often pause. And he would say, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anybody has ears to hear, let him hear. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus knew that not only do we have the ability to tune someone out, we have the tendency to tune someone out. Perhaps the most familiar commercial of the past decade was the commercial where the guy's walking around with his cell phone saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? It reminds us that communication is 24-7. We never escape it. There is more technology today aimed at communication than ever before. You can talk, call, text, tweet, Fax, email, Facebook, Skype, voicemail, instant message. But with the increased volume of words, we have tended to become more desensitized. In fact, I had to Google that commercial to find out it was a Verizon commercial because I wasn't listening. Can you hear me now? Not really. We pride ourselves in being able to talk on the cell phone while having lunch with someone, while looking over their head at the TV screen and watching the game, while tapping our foot to the music in the background. And we call that multitasking. We're trying to hear everyone, and the reality is we're listening to no one. When you think about it, good listening is basically a matter of concentration. 
If I view something as important to me, I will listen. When I'm at the surgery waiting room and the nurse comes in and says the doctor is going to come in and meet with the family, I always go up and get up and go in that little room. They always say, well, you don't look like the family. And I say, well, I'm adopted. I go in the room and the doctor comes in and the family's sitting there. And inevitably, this is what happens. The doctor will say, the surgery is over with, and she's going to be fine. And at that moment, when the family hears what they want to hear, they check out. And they go, oh, wow, I'm so relieved. I'm so happy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The doctor's still talking. We get outside, and, and somebody asks them, well, how long is she going to be in the hospital? I don't know. I didn't hear that part. I heard the part that was really important to me, and that's why I go in there and listen carefully and ask some questions of the doctor to find out those details, because we listen to what's really important to us. In fact, a mark of love is the desire to concentrate and really listen to someone. In 2 Samuel 23, King David is fighting against the Philistines They've captured David's hometown of Bethlehem, and David is camped out in a cave. And he makes makes a statement. He, He speaks to no one in particular. He just says, wow, I wish I could have a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. I wish I could have a drink of water like the water I used to drink as a kid in Bethlehem, out of the well in Bethlehem. Well, he had three men who loved him and listened to him. And they got up that very moment and broke through the ranks of the Philistines, broke into the city of Bethlehem, went to the well, got a cup of water, risked their lives, and came back and handed it to David. David was so impressed with their love and bravery that he poured it out as a sacrifice to the Lord. When you love someone... You really listen to that person. Men, do you really listen to your wife? When she's in the store and says, I I really love that purse, or "I, I would love to have that necklace, do you pay attention? Or do you get her a gift card for her birthday? Do you know what her favorite flower is? Do you know what her favorite color is? How do you know those things? You listen out of love because it's important to you. Do you really listen to your kids? Do you know what they like? Do you know what they don't like? Do you take them on vacation to the same place whether they like it or not? Do you listen to people, but more importantly, do you listen to God? One of the things that trials are designed for in our lives is to get our attention. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. 
It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes the trials in your life are a wake-up call by God spiritually. And yet when we have trials in our lives, when we have problems in our lives, where do we tend to go for help? We call mom. We call a friend. We check with Oprah. We, we check with Dr. Phil. And James says in verse 5 of this chapter, when you have trials, ask God. Which tells me when you have trials, God is speaking. The question is, are you listening? Jesus said this about the multitudes in His day in Matthew 13, 13. While seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear. Their eyes are open, but they're really not seeing. Their ears are open, but they're really not listening. Now, how do we listen to God? Well, obviously, to listen to God, you have to get quiet. In Psalm 46.10, the Lord says, Be still and know that I am God. Can I ask you a personal question? When's the last time you got still in a quiet place? We don't like quiet. We walk in the house, what's the first thing we want to do? Turn on the television, turn on the stereo. I'm going to go running, I'm going to put my iPod on and I'm going to listen to something. I'm going to have noise going on. I don't want to be quiet. The first prerequisite to hearing God is to be still, be quiet, to listen to Him. And trials happen in our lives to get us to look up and to listen to Him. And even when all else fails and we finally do decide we're going to come to God for the answers, you know what we say to God? We say, listen, Lord, thy servant speaketh. When we should be saying, speak, Lord, your servant listens. Are you quick to hear? That's the first rule in communication. Second rule is be slow to speak. What's the first thing we usually do when a trial hits? We speak. We yell, we scream, we cuss, we accuse, we blame, and then we regret every word that we said. James said it should be the last thing you do. You should be slow to speak. That means speaking should be something that you eventually get around to. Our motto needs to be, look before you lip. You see, when we talk first and listen later, it only compounds our problems. Very few people ever got into trouble for saying too little. 
You ever heard this saying? Measure your words carefully. If you think by the inch and speak by the yard, you'll soon be kicked by the foot. The reason you and I should be slow to speak is that once we have spoken words, we can never unspeak them. We can say, I'm sorry. We can say, I didn't mean that. But those words have already gone deeply into the hearts of our family members. And the Bible is filled with warnings about how your mouth can get you into trouble. Ecclesiastes 5.3 says, A fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Show me someone who talks too much, and I'll show you a fool. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If you are quick to speak, Solomon says you are more hopeless than a fool. Why? Proverbs 10, 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. The more you talk, the greater mathematical probability that you will sin. That's why Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Or as as someone has put it, It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. James says, be slow to speak. I don't know about you, but that's convicting to me. Because I talk too much. The average person says 18,000 words a day. I won't get into it, but that's because women say 25,000 and men say 10,000. That's just a side note. On average, it's 18,000 words a day. That's enough to fill 54 pages in a book. That's enough in a year to fill 212 average-sized books of 250 pages. And finding the titles for those books would be interesting. Because the more you talk, the more you're going to talk about what you're familiar with, and what are you familiar with? Me. So it's all about me, volume 175. One-fifth of the average person's life is spent talking. I think if they did a reality show on you, came to your house, took cameras, followed you around all day, I doubt that you would get to the end of the day and say, you know what, I need to talk more. Multiplied words equals multiplied 
sin. There are many things that are opened by mistake, none more frequently than your mouth. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. He wants you to listen twice as much as you speak. And he made your ears so they're always open. He made your mouth so that it will close. Now let me balance that by saying, there are times when we need to speak. Sometimes there's that proverbial elephant in the room and nobody wants to talk about it. Sometimes your brother may have sinned and the Bible says you're to go to him and speak to him, even rebuke him. There are times when we need to speak. But when we do, we need to be careful how we speak. We, we love the phrase, the truth hurts. And some of us think that justifies us taking the truth and using it like a club. But the Bible says we are to speak the truth in what? Love. If you are quick to hear and slow to speak, you know what? That gives you time to take what you want to say and code it in love so that it's more palatable. Quick words are rarely loving words. So we need the prayer of David in Psalm 141.3. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You rarely learn anything when you're talking. You really only learn when you're listening. And if you're going to listen more, you have to talk less. I've been reading through the book of Job. Job's one of those books that the first couple chapters are real active and exciting, and the last couple chapters are pretty exciting, but in between it's all dialogue of the deaf. It's all Job's three friends talking to Job. And it's pretty hard to stay with what's going on. But his friends are sitting there telling Job, the reason you're having these trials is because you've sinned, and Job is saying, no, I'm not having trials because I sinned, because I didn't sin. And they're saying, well, we know. And Job is saying, well, I know. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. You've had these conversations before. And then finally, in chapter 38, God speaks. And he says this to Job. Where were you? when I laid the foundation of the earth. I'm told that's what Matt Holliday has tattooed on his arm. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And since you're so smart, what did I pour the footings on? And where did darkness come from? And where does light come from? And how does lightning occur? And explain to me how it snows. And what makes the wind blow. Surely you know 
you've obviously been around since the beginning. And Job responds this way in chapter 40, verses 4 and 5. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Well, James is saying we're to do the very same thing in the midst of our trials. We are to cover our mouths and listen to God. Third rule, be slow to anger. What do we usually do in the midst of a trial? You wreck your car, stub your toe, something goes wrong, you fall into a trial, what happens? We get mad. We get angry. Anger and rage have destroyed more homes than tornadoes and termites combined. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Well, I think in this passage, James is telling us how to be slow to anger. He's telling you how to break that pattern in your life where you have a trial and you get mad. You have a trial and you get mad. You have a trial and you get mad. How do you break that? Here's the formula. Be quick to hear and slow to speak, and you will be slow to anger. I put it in an equation. Quick to hear plus slow to speak equals what? Slow to anger. That's the way it operates. You see, when a person starts listening more and talking less, it affects his temper. We like to say, I lost my temper. Actually, you found your temper. We need to lose our temper. Or as James says, we need to slow it down and give it a longer fuse. And we do that by being quick to hear and slow to speak in the midst of those difficult times. Now let me clarify. The Bible doesn't say never be angry. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and yet do not sin. Jesus was angry, but he never sinned. Some of us need to be more angry about some things than we are. But let me give you a little checklist of ways that you can know that you're good and mad. Three things. You ready? This is ways you can know that you're good and mad. Number one, make sure you're angry in the right way. When we get angry, we typically get into that attack mode. And if we can't attack somebody physically, then we attack them verbally. And so we slander, we degrade, we criticize. 
Someone has said it doesn't take much size to criticize. When we have a trial, we typically get angry, and when we get angry, we explode. You say, well, Dan, I feel better when I explode. And it's all over in a few seconds, and I'm just letting off steam. Well, let me tell you something. Explosions injure people. And when you explode in anger, you're like one of those suicide bombers. The explosion kills others, and it kills yourself. Frederick Buechner, in his book, Wishful Thinking, Transformed by Thorns, said this, and I want you to listen to this because this is profound. Of all the sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back, in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Are you good and mad? Checklist number one. Make certain you're angry in the right way. Second, make certain you're angry at the right person. We get angry at the boss and take it out on our kids. We get angry about our finances and take it out on our spouse. When difficult circumstances come, we take the advice of Job's wife and we get angry at God. Make sure you're angry at the right person. And to help you with that, I would say this. 99% of the time, the person we need to be directing our anger towards is ourself. We need to be angry about the selfishness and the laziness and the sin in us. Why do we get trials? We talked about it in verses 2 to 4. Trials are like a purifying fire that's making gold pure. And when gold was put in a fire, what came to the top? The dross, the impurities, and they were scraped away. Sometimes what's coming out in our life in the form of anger is those impurities that God wants to scrape away. Make sure you're angry in the right way. Make sure you're angry at the right person. Thirdly, make certain you're angry for the right reason. Most of the time when you get angry, it's because you feel like your rights are intruded on. Someone got in my parking place. 
Somebody sitting in my pew. Somebody's going slow in my lane. She's not living up to my expectations. Is that the right reason to be angry? Well, let's think about it. What was Jesus angry about? Listen to this. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, it says that Jesus looked around at the Pharisees with anger. What was he angry about? They had taken a lame man, a man with a withered hand, brought him into the temple, which was against their law, had him standing in the temple as bait for Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and he was angry because they were using another person for their own selfish means. Jesus' harshest words in the Bible are found in Matthew 23, and he speaks them to the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, hypocrites! Why does he use those angry words? Because he says they are leading people astray. They are designed to be the spiritual leaders in Israel, and they're taking people down a path of destruction. And Jesus was angry about that. And the other illustration is in John chapter 2, where Jesus sat down in the temple and he made a whip. Talk about being quick to hear and slow to speak. He sat there quietly and made a whip while he took in what was going on in the temple. And when he was finished making the whip, he drove the money changers out of the temple. Why was he upset? They were dishonoring God's house and dishonoring God's name. So Jesus was angry when the Father was dishonored, when others were led astray, and when others were being used and abused. But you know what's interesting? You will never find in the gospel Gospels one time when Jesus said an angry word for him being personally mistreated. You'll never find it. You'll never find him getting angry for the personal insults and the personal hurts that other people directed toward him. When he was mocked, when he was spit on, When he was nailed to the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. You say, well, how can I be like that? How can I be angry in the right way, at the right person, for the right reason? Let me give you two little ideas. Number one, trust God to take care of your situation. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He didn't try to get back at the people. He entrusted himself to the ultimate judge. You need to do the same. 
And secondly, Jesus' anger led him to not be a greater part of the problem, but to be a greater part of the solution, or really the whole of the solution. Jesus' anger at sin led him to go to the cross and die to pay the debt for that very sin. So when you get angry, take that energy and use it to go to that person with a willingness to apologize, a willingness to reconcile, a willingness to forgive. So it's possible to be good and mad. But let's be honest. Most of the time, when we're angry, it's due to sin. It's not at sin. Most of the time when we're angry, it's not righteous indignation. It is personal irritation. And that's the kind of anger that James is talking about here because he's talking about it in the context of trials, in the context of problems, in the context of difficulties. And when you fall into a trial and you get angry, notice what verse 20 says. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Did you get that? The anger of man, your anger, does not achieve the righteousness of God. When you are angry for someone, for something they have done to you, you can be sure of one thing. You are no longer working with God. You are working against God. Just look at verses 2 to 4 again. There he says, when you have trials, rejoice. Why? Knowing that the testimony of your faith produces God's righteousness in your life. Well, this verse tells us when you go to that trial and inject your anger into it, God's purpose is no longer being fulfilled. That's why we rejoice rather than get angry. Because God is working a purpose far greater than you getting even. It's God producing in you the likeness of Jesus. And when you do that, you extract the anger and you replace it with joy and you entrust yourself to him. Your anger and God's righteousness are mutually exclusive. So how do we keep from getting angry? We follow this simple formula. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak and be slow to anger. Can you hear me? I trust that verse speaks to your heart half as much as it speaks to me. We'll stand in closing as we worship the Lord. And even while we're singing praises to him, let's have ears to hear how he wants to apply his truth to each of our lives today. <laughs>